What's up, everyone? I'm Doug Kide. Welcome to Pat's Chat. Patriots lost again on Christmas Eve. We are here now two days later breaking down the game because, quite honestly, Christmas Eve night, Christmas Day, not really the most opportune time for two fathers to record a podcast. But uh, during that game, or maybe even after that game, I don't know when you tweeted out, I feel like, like you almost got Mac Jones like suspended, I, I feel like, somehow with a, no, with a tweet. No comment. <laughs> I, I I I am kind of the only one that tweeted that video out, video out, but I thought it was pretty. It would have, it would have been seen anyway. It would have been seen anyway. Yeah, you think? Because <laughs> I, I, I was trying to help you there. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, the, no comment. Um, yeah, so Ed, obviously that's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Is that it was a weird play? Mac Jones it was on the fumble recovery that wasn't. Mac Jones yes. like took out the legs of Eli Apple. I did see people in your mention saying like he was trying to draw a block in the back call on it. Um, I saw most people explaining it as like he was trying to block Apple from blocking Thornton, which that's not really a thing. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, unless it was one of those things, then there wasn't a lot of reason for him to just kind of like fall down and take out Eli Apple's legs. But you know what the play reminded know. me of? Remember his first game ever, the Miami game? I think it was his first drive. Uh, Mac Jones was in the pocket, face pressure, kind of spun away, and then threw it backwards. Uh, it was kind of one of those sort of panic plays. I think he's lucky that he got intentional grounding and not the fumble because that thing was – he polarded that thing up in the air. I mean, it could have gone either. Whatever they ruled on the field was going to stay. So that was a, a pretty bad panic play overall. So I think it just – Panic sometimes compounds panic, and that's what you get. I, I I do kind of think that that ball was coming out before he flipped it forward or whatever it was. But on one angle, it looked like it wasn't. Then there was one angle where, where it looked like it like like bounced off his chest maybe, and that's when it came out, and then he just like tossed it forward. But once again, grand scheme of things, doesn't ultimately matter I actually have that a theory. much. I'll hit you with theory yeah. on that. And the Bourne catch, where Bourne had it in his hands and completely came down and used the field to catch it. Yes. Both of those went the Patriots' way. I just think if you're trailing by 10 points in the fourth quarter, the review is going to go your way more often than not. Because <laughs> I think we like, might have seen that in that Raiders game, too, then. Yeah, I, 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 I do. Yeah. The NFL loves comebacks. They love uh, changes of, of cha- lead changes. They love parity. Uh, so a 10-point lead staying a 10 point lead that does nothing for the NFL. They don't send press releases about that every week comebacks and, and overtime and all that. They love that one possession games. They love one possession games. So they got one here. And uh, that's not really a conspiracy theory. I think that's just fact. Well, I mean, as I'm watching basically any football game, unless it's like a game that I really care about, I just want it to last as long as possible. Like even yes. if it's a Sunday night game, that's like on when I should be asleep. I'm like, no, I just want this game to go into overtime and be exciting and last for as long as it can without being a tie. So I think, yeah, maybe just like instinctually as a referee, they might just feel the same way and be like, God, wouldn't it be cool if this game was interesting? Although for them, it, it also means like doing their job a little bit longer. And I don't think but I'm not even like over no, not for, even for overtime. I'm not even on the on-field officials because they ruled incomplete on board. And then it goes to New sure. York and they're like, he's got it. And then like the Mac one, it kind of looked more fumbly than passy to me. But yeah. uh, I could see that one maybe. But either way, I, I do think I don't know how you could look at, you know, for example, the Hunter Henry touchdown that wasn't in Minnesota and then look at Kendrick Bourne on the sideline it's against Cincinnati and see the same rules being applied from the same league. It's just just 
bizarre. Yeah, I mean, that one, I guess I will say that at no point did the ball appear to move on the Kendrick yeah. Thorne catch. But, like, the ball, like, hit the ground. <laughs> like the, the His hands were on like, top he, of the ball, and the ball yeah, was on he, the ground. He caught the ball on the ground. And, like, yeah, he's got really strong hands to not have it move. But, like, I don't know if we know for a fact that that ball would have been caught if he hadn't essentially just caught it on the ground. I was thinking during that game how absurd the replay system is is that they've got this like they're watching it on a tablet on the field on the sideline and like i don't know if they could bring in like a 50 inch monitor or whatever it is to do Probably these things could. but like i mean he's not like, i mean it's a zoomed like yeah i know that they're doing zoomed in angles and all this stuff but like you're still watching it on a tablet i was thinking about this this morning i was like just checking instagram on my phone and like no matter how good the quality or resolution of a picture is like it's still on a phone like you can see it much better on a larger object so i don't know it, the whole tablet situation is wild to me like well, why even have the ref looking at anything if right. they're making the decision in new york just have him stand there and play like hopscotch or something like right. i guess the tablet's just for show like the ref is someone involved but he's not he's just waiting for word from new york but uh we, i know you're a big hockey guy when the nhl started review they were on like iphone ones like it was like game boy it was like what and i think they were ruling it i don't even think it was maybe it wasn't a review room but the point is uh there has been more ridiculous so there's that it's 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 insanity i mean i just think that everything should be watched by new york and reviewed by new york and like i know that that would make the officials lives more difficult and it wouldn't give them that much power on the field but ultimately it makes more sense to have someone in new york watching it but um the patriots almost won that game Mm -hmm. if not for a, a Ramondre Stevenson fumble, uh, which was unfortunate that the Patriots' best offensive player keeps doing things that causes him to uh, kind of be be the GOAT after these games. But, it, it, like, the Patriots didn't deserve to win that game, right? I, I'm not crazy? Um, It's hard to say because the defense, I mean, they really dominated in the second half. Like, there's no way around it. There's no I, – I think – Human nature, the Bengals probably took some things for granted after halftime and probably let some sloppiness creep into their game. But ultimately, I don't think there's any way you could not give the Patriots defense credit for shutting them out in the second half after. Yeah. But that being said, where they didn't deserve to win the game was how poorly they came out, like to how poorly they 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 executed offensively yet again for the umpteenth time this year. And I think ultimately that's what, sunk them uh it, we say reasonably first and goal from the five that they're going to score the go-ahead touchdown but are they so uh i think ultimately that would have been a better picture of whether they deserve to win or not if they could have run those four plays and if they didn't get in then you could say well that was all ridiculous but you look at like the if not for a third and 29 heave off a man named scotty washington that i've never heard of uh <laughs> deflecting the jacoby myers it's not even a, a conversation so yeah there's certainly some breaks along the way but well, um, I think yeah, it's too bad we didn't get to see it. it at the end. Yeah, I I have no faith whatsoever that even if they had, even if that had not been a fumble, that they would have actually got into the end zone. And that it was like the, the Jacoby Myers touchdown is funny because, like, in some ways, yes, it was 100% a fluke touchdown. Like, it, like he was basically playing hot potato with a football and throw it back to Jacoby Myers. I know it wasn't intentional. I don't think he intended to flip that ball back to Jacoby Myers, but like the act of that ball flying through the air, landing in Jacoby Myers' hands and scoring a touchdown was fluky. But you could also say that 
like Scotty Washington probably should have just caught that ball <laughs> and then like either scored a touchdown or been down at the one yard line or whatever it would have been. So like it was still a pretty decent throw for Mac Jones, but the play itself was obviously very fluky. Yeah. In the old days, like in the Super Bowl DVD, <laughs> there'd be like the intense music and they'd be like, it was week nine and we practiced the Scotty Washington <laughs> deflection play in week 16. It came out <laughs> like those. The, they, I don't think they're, they're practicing that one to your point. I, so at that point, Scotty Washington was the only healthy tight end too, right? Yeah. Because yeah, Hunter Henry crashed into Johnny Smith and hurt his knee. Yes. And then um, Johnny Smith that's ran a, for Hunter Henry. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was bad. And then Johnny Smith ran the, to the exact same spot as Kendrick Bourne. So Bourne's guy hit him in the head. Uh, it yes. got him clobbered. So some spacing issues, I would say, some route running issues. Uh, the fact that the Janu Henry collision took place on a third and four, where everyone's just taken off downfield like they're the '99 Rams. Uh, it's there's just so many issues that I think. I mean, like I wrote today, like you can't even itemize them. Like you really can't right. sit down and say, all right, these were the four things that really plagued them because it's just so consistent. It's the same story. It's the same thing that we all said. In March, when Patricia looked like he'd be the OC, like they're not going to be able to get plays in quickly or consistently. They took a delay a game on fourth and ten at the end, and then on fourth and fifteen, David Andrews is jaunting up the field. That, fifteen. I yards. Uh, I need to know what happened on that play. That like I, I don't know under what circumstance David Andrews should be running upfield on fourth and fifteen with whatever it was five seconds left in the game, whatever it was inside draw, like, Doug. Like, inside what? draw, yeah, like, lateral. He was like, we're doing draw. It. We are doing it, baby. No, I mean, it had to be because, I mean, he's obviously a smart player. And I know. Coming, but the thing is, it's coming out of a penalty. Like, all right, here's our play. You know, there's 25 seconds on the play clock. The play, the clock right. is stopped. There's time to get it sorted out. And yeah, there you he goes. have like a minute and a half to figure out a play. Right. <laughs> yeah. And on the play, David Andrews is running down the field. It's, uh, but I think that's emblematic of just the issue because in between fourth and 10 and fourth and 15, the, you know, Mac was gesturing to the sidelines and yep. i think the cameras the, the microphones picked him up saying no one knows what to do or something like that because when he was at the line on fourth and ten he's given signals the receivers are doing like the the shrug look back at the line so it's it's yeah it's desperation time probably doesn't matter but teams that win generally can execute in those moments and they can't do it oh yeah and every single moment that they've had like that at the end of the game at the end of a game if it's like close or if they've got some sort of chance to come back i don't know like every single game situation they've had in there but like every single time they're in that situation it looks like they have absolutely no idea what to do and like you said on that third and four play like it it legitimately sometimes feels like matt patricia is just calling out plays at random like to mm -hmm. not have guys running toward and past the sticks on that play to pick up first down and instead be far downfield. Like clearly I would assume either Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith was supposed Ran to run a route. different route on that play because yes. I don't think they I, should have been colliding together. I'm but, guessing like, John was supposed to go shallow, like a, like a five yard crosser, not whatever it was he did. Cause he also like stopped after one that. guy shallow route on that play. Like, shouldn't you have multiple options on that play? You'd think you would think, um, but it's it's been an issue, and I think it's being pointed out more. Just as as we try to figure out what happens, and everyone wants to blame Mac Jones. And again, I saw Mac Jones as sort of irrelevant to this game, pro, con, or otherwise. Like, yeah, I want to talk about Mac Jones next. Yeah, um, but I mean, overall, yeah. like the 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 offense at halftime had the twenty nine yard run by uh, by Kendrick Bourne, 
Yep. But other than that, they had one play that was 11 yards, uh, and that was just before halftime, the the slant, for no reason. And then they called timeout and then took a knee. And then one for nine yards, one for six yards, and then nine for zero or, or negative, which is like that's – you're coming out and, and running what you want to run. You're prepping all week. You're practicing, and that's how you come out. So to me – it's not going to change. Like maybe, I mean, we'll, we'll do the playoff discussion later. I'm sure, but like maybe you beat the dolphins and maybe the bills lose on purpose in week 18. But it, I, I understand the over overall feeling of like, why does it matter? Because right. it's week 16. We know they think it's too hard to make any changes. Like this is what it is until the end of the year. Yeah, no, it's true. And I thought, yeah, Mac Jones and the entire offense was horrendous, anemic, whatever adjective you want to use to describe them. But I do feel like he came out much better in the second half. Obviously, he was aided by that strange 48-yard touchdown by Jacoby Myers. But as I mentioned, like the throw was was on target to Scotty Washington. He just didn't catch it for whatever reason. So I can't blame him too much for that throw. Um, I think that that was fine. And he was fitting in tight window throws. Unfortunately, it was leaving a player like Johnny Smith open to get concussed. So there was there were kind of hospital balls being thrown by Mac Jones. But Overall, I'd say that he was like 10 times better than he was in week 15 in this game, at least in the second half. The first half was a continuation of week 15, and the second half I felt like was significantly better. And a big reason of that was that they were actually able to get Kendrick more and more involved in this game as well, which it's a mystery still why that hasn't been happening all year. But I mean... First hundred yard game of the season, first touchdown of the season for Kendrick Bourne. Like these are things that shouldn't be happening in week 16. First hundred yard game of his career, which I found surprising, but yeah. he had nine targets, uh, which was a season high. And previously a season high was five, which I want to say was in Baltimore in week three. So right. he's just, and then Bill Belichick being asked after the game and saying no particular reason. It's just, it just stinks. It just stinks out loud to to have a player that clearly can, and he messes up too. Like Kendrick Bourne oh, yeah. messes up. So it's not like we're talking about a perfect player, um, but to, to to have that kind of showing where it's like, you know, in all these games where, again, you got a defensive score and that's the only reason you were in the game, uh, right. just like all of their wins. Um, but in this game where you can come close to winning and he's the guy driving the offense and, and Aguilar is nowhere to be seen and Parker's obviously out. It just makes you wonder, like all those one possession losses, what what would have been different if Bourne was involved rather than just right. watching? Um, I don't know. It, it's those answers like they don't really work when you're bad the no particular reason. Yeah. I was, I wanted to talk about that. Like I do feel like if you're winning a game and like, there's some strange decision where I don't know, you bench someone or like someone sits out a few games because like that happened in the past for the Patriots. Like guys, like I remember like Jabal sheared back in the day, like randomly had like a five game stretch or something like that, where he was benched. I'm sure that Belichick was asked about it, but I'm also sure they were winning most of those games and Belichick just didn't really necessarily need to answer those questions. But yeah, I think that when you're losing, I feel like you have to give some sort of a helpful answer about that. Like, even if it's just, we did what was best for the football team. I know that that's not a gratifying answer. I know that that's not like, that doesn't mean anything, but it's his normal stock answer. And it's not just no particular reason. Like, like by saying no particular reason, it, it kind of comes across like you don't know what you're doing at that point. Right. Uh, it just comes out like I'm not going to tell you to me. I guess, which, yeah. Because I, I refuse to believe that they look at Kendrick Bourne and like, well, he stinks. He's our he's our fifth receiver. Like he's right. he's good enough to be involved in some game plans 
as the number one guy, you know, depending on the week, depending on the opponent. So yeah. I don't think it's, I think it's more just like, well, I'm not telling you. And it's like, okay, I get that you're not going to air everything out publicly, but there has to be, and after a game like that, when it's just so evident that yeah. he makes your team better and that Mac Jones will go on and on and on about how much he loves him and how smiley <laughs> right. he is and how delightful he is. Like, it's very clear that your quarterback who needs all the help he can get would like him on the field more and he's not getting it. So I don't know, probably not the the number one issue with the Patriots, but I just think the fact that it's lingered throughout the year and then he blows up with a game like that, uh, making the two explosive plays outside of the tip ball. He had the 29 yard run and the, the catch that wasn't really a catch. Um, I just think, you know, it, it's, like you said, like Jabal Sheard not being in when the defense probably ranked fourth in points allowed, right. it didn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. But when you can't score and you can't move the ball and you can't convert third downs, not having talented players on the field, it just seems like it deserves more of an explanation than no particular reason. And also after last season, like I thought the comparisons were a little bit, ooh, Broncos just fired Nathaniel Hackett. That's uh, Right on time, already. baby. Right on time. <laughs> you guys already knew that based on the season has been saved. The <laughs> Denver Broncos season has been saved. I, I did kind of feel like losing to the Rams with Baker Mayfield at quarterback and like all of their good players injured, whatever it was, like 51 to 17, whatever that game was. Like, like yeah. they've had a lot of rock bottom moments, but that was like even more rock bottom than anything yeah. else that they've experienced this season. Like I picked the Broncos in that game because it was like, all right, right, it's at least the Rams. But it, that was a team that didn't want to be there. They did not want to be in Los Angeles on Christmas Day. But um, yeah. no, so it's not. a reminder, a that things could always be worse. But b mm-hmm. people get fired when their offense is in the bottom of the league and changes need to be made. So it's a reminder. No, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. Um, what I was going to say about Kendrick Bourne is that I thought the comparisons last year that like after he had 12 carries for 125 yards, like, oh, he could be like a Debo Samuel type weapon, whatever it is in the yeah. offense, were a little bit silly. But it is strange that after that season where that was an effective tool in the Patriots offense, that now he has five carries for 37 yards this season. And most of those came off of a 29-yard carry in uh, Saturday's loss. Yeah. I mean, who knows what, what would have been the plan? I don't know if that was more Josh than anything, but I don't know. There is also the fact that, like, the man playing the calling the plays doesn't really have a a style or a rhythm or like a a mentality or mindset that we know about. So it's just kind of a, like you said, call a play and see what happens. Uh, So I don't know. I, 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 it's just been one symptom of a larger issue being that the offense can't be run. So uh, we're probably focusing on it too much. I did want to say I'm Mac Jones because there was the game, uh, what game was it, like four weeks ago, where he just didn't throw the ball beyond 10 yards. It was just like right. nothing but short passes. Um, and then people questioned whether he can throw it or not. There were a couple throws where his arm strength was just off, I thought, in this one. There was a little yeah. out to Jacoby Myers where you're so used to seeing an NFL five-yard out where the ball's out and the ball's in, and Myers had to wait an extra tick. And instead of turning up field and getting extra yards, he's getting popped. And even the Bourne play where he's throwing sort of in between the second and third levels, Bourne clears the corner and the safety's coming over and he's ready and he's got to wait like that extra tick yeah. before he crow hops basically to go up and get it. And I just feel like, I don't know if that's the weather Mac in the scuba suit, not like overly flexible, probably factored in, but there was a couple plays where it was like, he was off a little bit, not as bad as say uh, Las Vegas, but there was still some throws where you, you had to, 
I don't know whether it was the weather, the clothing, whatever, but he was just a little bit off where maybe that could have changed things in the first half. He was one of six for 28 yards passing deep to the left and right. He was better down the down the middle, two for two for 80 yards with a touchdown, but obviously one of those was the, the Scotty Washington play. But yeah, I think throwing deep and outside was a pretty significant issue for him in this game. And I do, I think that that's part of the limitations that you're talking about. Um, and obviously for some quarterbacks, like, I feel like Tom Brady probably did improve his arm strength early in his career. Um, I guess there's still time for Mac Jones to be doing that, but you would have hoped to have seen that a little bit more this season. Uh, we talked quite a bit about Marcus Jones on last week's show. And obviously, all in all, it was a positive performance for Marcus Jones since he was making plays on offense. He also had the pick six, which had an incredibly impressive interception return for a touchdown. Um, but I do think it like it's it might at some point this offseason be time to ask like what the Patriots should actually do with Marcus Jones because as good as that interception was he also allowed 11 catches on 12 targets for 169 yards in this game to Did the Bengals and that didn't seem like it I know that the, the jump balls to Higgins stood out but Right, I didn't, I didn't feel like he was getting cooked like that. Jeez. He was he was in coverage on a lot of those plays. I'm not sure how many of them were deep balls, but I think that yeah, I mean those jump balls when it's a five eight cornerback covering a six one six two six three wide receiver, whatever it is, like you're at a severe disadvantage. And the most damning thing I think about those plays in particular is that he's in tight coverage, like he's where he's supposed to be. There's just literally nothing that he can do about it, and. I do think that the NFL is trending towards taller wide receivers in general. I think that that was evidenced by the fact that the Bengals, like their slot receiver is Tyler Boyd. He's what, 6'1", 6'2", whatever it is. Like teams don't necessarily have that 5'9", 5'8", Z receiver or slot receiver at this point. And I don't know. I mean, as good as Marcus Jones is in coverage, I feel like he is going to get beat if when it comes down to it in some of those situations. Yeah, but I don't, I, I think ultimately in the slot is where he belongs and where he will be. Because you look at his usage prior to right. Jack Jones getting hurt. It was spotty. Uh, and then against the Raiders, yep. he played a hundred percent of the snaps, the Cardinals 89% after the Jack Jones injury. And then this game 90%. And I don't think that is what they want for him. So in the meanwhile, right. I don't mind that experience, you know, like I'm not sure he'll ever uh, hit a growth spurt and grow six inches, but I think <laughs> getting beaten by Higgins on those routes is going to, is are teachable moments for him at least like if you're looking for a silver lining there but i think if you can slot him in in the slot uh it's going to be ideal and then that's going to give him a little bit fresher legs on special teams and whenever you really want to use him on gadget plays and things like that but um i, I didn't think 11 to 12 seems uh, excessive i didn't see it as that bad in real time but uh I, I guess when he's when he's cast outside of his his role that, that might happen. But, you know, I, I, think, I was still impressed, though, with the pick. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's the same thing as that Arizona game where to have the comfort to let DeAndre Hopkins get by you because you're looking in the backfield and you you know where the ball is. And he did the same thing with Jamar Chase. Uh, I, I feel like that instinct and comfort for a rookie uh, against some pretty good players, is it stands out. No, he knows what he's doing in coverage. Like, he is a very good cover cornerback he's just going to be so much better against players who are his size. And I think that, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'd like to see how the Patriots do use him moving forward on defense because on the season so far, he's got 242 snaps outside and only 58 in the slot. Um, there's only been two games where he's played in the slot more than outside. That was week five and week seven. 
Um, in week 13, it was 15 snaps in the slot, 15 out wide. And then over the last three weeks, as they've dealt with injuries, it's been far heavier on the outside. I think it speaks a little bit more to the Patriots depth at cornerback where like you have to use a five, eight guy outside. And during training camp, we saw Marcus Jones play a lot in the slot. He, at times it was Jonathan Jones and Jalen Mills outside and then Marcus Jones in the slot. So maybe once, you know, Jalen Mills is back, maybe once Jack Jones is back, maybe they do move him permanently into the slot. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that there's another part of me though, that thinks like with his speed and with his coverage skills, like hopefully he can match up as well in the slot as he has outside, because I, I do think that his coverage skills and his ability to stick on wide receivers has been impressive, even though he's gotten beaten by some deep balls or by some jump balls. Yeah. I mean, I put him in the hall of fame yesterday or Saturday, so <laughs> we have some varying views, but no, I just think, um, yeah, it's it's not ideal with the way they're set up. I mean, they entered this year with Jonathan Jones as their number one cornerback, which we've talked right. about as less than ideal, suboptimal. Not that, I mean, he's a great slot corner. Uh, and right. <laughs> we saw the limitations. For a while, we didn't. But eventually, I think it's going to stand out when, you're, when your number one outside corner is a slot corner. That's sort of been the case. Yeah, I mean, even in training camp, I think even in the offseason, I was like, why is why are the Patriots just building an army of slot cornerbacks? Because it was Jonathan Jones, Marcus Jones, even Jalen Mills when he was with Philadelphia, primarily played safety and in the slot. Um, Jack Jones, I think, played more outside in college. But one of the things that was written about him before the draft, or a lot of people, what people were saying, was that like he could come in and be a number one nickel cornerback right away. And there was a little bit more questions about him outside. And even like Sean Wade, I think played in the slot during his final season at Ohio state and has played some slot with the Patriots. So um, yeah, that's certainly one thing the Patriots could fix is actually getting that number one outside cornerback again this season. But um, otherwise, I guess, what do you think of the, the defense in this game? I, I was pretty impressed with how they were actually able uh, to rebound there in the second half against a team that was on pace to set an NFL record for most first downs in a game. The most first downs ever by a team in a game is 40, and the Bengals had 22 first downs in the first half. Yeah, 22 in the first half and then six in the second half, which is kind of incredible. So, no, I give them credit, and especially uh, Matthew Judon, who had a sack. He had another one taken away. But the the forced fumble on Jamar Chase, that's like those are the plays – that the Patriots always made and they win yeah. these games. They had no business winning. And then you go the next day and you're like, haha, the Bengals are idiots. Like the, I think the defense was still making those plays uh, that just the offense can't cash in on. And I think it was, I think it was to me, it was emblematic or, or a reminder of the potential that this team would have if yeah. only it had a functional <laughs> offense, because yeah, you got torched for a half, but you shot them out in the second half and on balance, it was a decent game defensively. And if you just had an offense with some threat and some punch, you probably walk away with a win. And I think that's the, that's the story of the year. So I guess in the, in the microcosm of the game, that's, that's, I thought the defense was good, which I would never would. If you'd asked me that at halftime, I uh, would have thought I was on Christmas drugs. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, Joshua Jay had a sack, Matthew Jones had a sack. Um, obviously yeah, the big fumble recovered by Marcus Jones, the interception by Marcus Jones. So they once stopped again, like a two said, point like, conversion from the one. Yep. Yep. That was um, impressive. Uh, <laughs> Patriots were maybe aided a little bit by Evan McPherson, just for some reason being the worst kicker in the NFL on Saturday. Cold. Maybe he was, was on Christmas cold. drugs. 
I mean, Nick Folk's kick wasn't exactly a professional kick either. So I don't what know. About, what, uh, what about Michael Pilardi just dropping the football? Yeah, you know, I tweeted that out and I got a lot of interactions. Some people were like, yeah, it's cold. It's like, yeah, you know what? I think the punter knew it was cold when the ball came back and was in his hands. He just, he, he, his body just failed him on that one. But that was sort of, again, execution and like basic stuff that the Patriots used to never screw up, that they're just yeah. screwing up so regularly now. The the personal foul on, was it a missed kick? Or, I think it was a missed PAT. Uh, and Daniel right. Aquale bowled over the long snapper and like, that led to the two point try, which didn't count, but it's like, or didn't convert, but it's like all these things where it's like that we saw it for so long. The other team would always do that. And Bill Belichick would stand there with his arm crossed and watch it all happen. And his team would always make the right play. It's just, I don't know. We're in, I don't know what year we are of the Patriots doing that regularly, but it feels like it's taken to a new extreme lately. I, I feel like you very rarely see any sort of Belichick reaction, like positive or negative on a play. And I thought the reaction after the, I think it was the first touchdown to Trent Irwin. I think it was the cut second. Right to Bill Belichick. Yeah. And he gave a WTF. And that was the one where um, I think they were, what, in cover two. Devin McCourty had the deep half of the field um, to Jamar Chase's side. but And Miles Bryant, I think, probably should have carried Trent, Trent Irwin up the seam. But the reaction from Devin McCourty on that play was so strange because, like, it felt like he saw the ball, but not the receiver. Like as the ball was falling, Devin McCourty just like, was like still like like going backwards, about to catch the ball, like trying to catch the ball, and then like he had to react at the last second. It felt like to try to break up the ball to Trent Irwin. It was just too late at that point. It was just a really strange play by McCourty there that you usually obviously don't see him make. Yeah, I'm trying to remember a play from McCourty in recent weeks um where it was like that where it wasn't very much like the 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 great awareness and ball skills that we're used to seeing from him yeah so um i'm trying to think it wasn't it was recent though it was the same thing where had he just gone and covered the man he breaks it up but because he's sort of looking up at the ball and lets it gets over his head um he he doesn't make the play so I, i can't off the top of my head but i do think it's funny um, I'm not going to get into Patriots for losing track of Trenton Irwin, who had two career touchdowns going into the game and then caught two and would have had a third that bounced off his fingertips. So yep. um, I guess uh, in terms of sneak attack, uh, Cincinnati Bengals tactics, that was it because <laughs> I, I wasn't ready for that one and neither were the Patriots. No, I think it was because what Tyler Boyd was still dealing with the the finger injury that he has, where the announcers were like very graphic about the finger injury for Tyler Boyd, by the way, he said that he could like see a bone through it, something like that when he got injured. I'm surprised they didn't miss more time, but um, I don't know what specifically was causing Tyler Boyd to miss some time in that first half, but certainly wound up benefiting the Bengals because yeah, Trent Irwin went off on that. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, admittedly didn't watch a lot of the press conferences after the game. I'm not sure if Devin McCourty was specifically asked about that play, but like it felt like he like thought that miles Bryant was still cut, like that someone was still covering him or something. It was just, I don't know. I just beyond, I, I I vaguely can think of the play that you're talking about. I don't know specifically what it was, but yeah, there have been some un Devin McCourty like plays this season, but that one just like really stood out to me where it's like, he doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing right now, which was really strange to see. Yeah, no, I, I I think having that opposition probably can distract, and they face some good receivers, so I'm sure right. there are certain things in his mind that might have him off. But yeah, um, I'm gonna. But by the end of this podcast, I will try to place the play 
that I'm thinking of, but um, I don't know. I don't want to say he's I will, like old, but because I will also talk say about him Marcus, as old. It just makes me feel it, old. Yeah, yeah so, that means that we're even older. I think he's young and spry. To be he's honest, he's a young with you. man, of course. Um, <laughs> to your Marcus Jones point earlier, I I tweeted out: Is Marcus Jones a top five player on the Patriots? So I think that we are on the same side of Marcus Jones being good. I'm not sure if he's a top five player on the Patriots, but after he makes an interception like that and runs down the field as, as fast as a human being can possibly move, then it certainly at those times seems like he's a top five player on the Patriots and given everything they can do on offense, special teams, defense, it's certainly possible that he is. Um, this sounds absurd to say, and I don't think it is something that the Patriots should be trying to do, but it is pretty wild that the playoffs are actually still like it's still possible for the Patriots to make the playoffs. All they have yes. to do is beat the Dolphins. And then in week 18, I'm not sure the exact scenarios for the Bills, but like if the Bills are locked into the second seed by that point, then like wouldn't they want to just not try against the Patriots, have them completely yeah. show their hand, and then come back to play them again in the wild card round of the playoffs when they've got their read on them? I don't know. Um. So that is a little bit, I think that was oversimplified because I saw a tweet saying that, which I don't think is secure because let's say the Bills lose next week at Cincinnati on Monday Night Football. Well, yeah. Yeah, I have no um, idea what their actual... Uh, then that means that the was. Bengals would be tied with the Bills uh, right. in the standings, which means they'd probably have the head-to-head tiebreaker, which means Buffalo would move to the third seed, which means I don't think Buffalo could just lose in Week 18 and get the Patriots automatically. Right. Um, which would be hilarious if the Bills are like handpicking the Patriots after all these years because they'd probably whoop their ass. Um, but I do think there is the possibility. Now, the Bills won't be locked in to losing that number one seed, even if they lose next week, because theoretically the Chiefs could lose to the Raiders in week 18, and then the Bills would have the tiebreaker, the head-to-head over the Chiefs. So I don't know right. that they'll just concede that before taking the field in week 18. That seems a think... little... Like, I mean, the Chiefs have are a chance. The Broncos next week. Yes, and then the and... Chiefs have the Raiders in Week 18. So if if it's right. a Chiefs loss and a Bills win, will make the Bills the one seed and get a bye. I think the Bills are going to play to win that game. I think they are too. Yeah, I think it's I very unlikely that the Bills, unless the Bills, yeah, who do the Bengals play in Week 18? The uh, the, the, bang, the the Ravens. So there's some AFC North yeah. things might be at stake, but I think I think larger, and we should probably back up and do this first is like, does it matter if the Patriots make the playoffs? Because we've done it. I tweeted something about it, and like so many people seem to get pissed off about the notion of them making the playoffs. And it's like, I don't know. I still argue that it's better to make the playoffs than not, but I understand that you could have the opinion of like, well, what's it even really matter? Knowing that there's Super Bowl contenders, there's like frisky playoff teams, and then there's you. And being in that third group, I see as not being very beneficial big picture. So I get it, but uh, I still think if you can win your last two games and make the playoffs, that's better than not. But maybe I'm just an idiot. Yeah, no, I was even thinking that like late in the Bengals game, like, oh, at least the Patriots can like continue to make this season interesting if they're able to beat the Bengals here um, yes. at, at the end of the game. And now I still do kind of feel the same way about the final eight, two weeks of the season. Like, I don't, I think that unfortunately, What's what's like the best the Patriots as a whole have looked this entire season? Great question. Would it be like Doug. the second half of Minnesota the game first against half. the Bengals this week. Minnesota, Minnesota first, first half. half. 
Um, Beyond that, um, yeah, like they beat the Jets and looked bad. I guess the Lions, they beat the crap out of them. That and that, probably, but that was with that, that was, was with Zap, Zappinator, Zappinator. right? So, yeah. like, you can't even. I mean, you can obviously. I'm not going to prevent you from including that, but like, like I don't think Bailey Zappi's going to be playing in Week One of the playoffs. So, like, you almost have to like throw out any of the games that Bailey Zappi played because it was a new quarterback. Like, de- like defenses just aren't used to it. Opposing teams aren't used to it. So, like, beyond that, I guess, yeah, either first half against Minnesota, second half against the Bengals. I just, my larger point here is like, if if the Patriots had even put together a string like the Lions had in recent weeks before losing this week, then you'd be like, okay, like, who knows? Like, playoffs start, maybe they can do that every single quarter, every single week, and like, they can go on a run. With this Patriots team, like, they haven't even shown this in a full game yet. So I just, I do not think that there's any possible way that they could win a playoff game. So that makes me feel like it's kind of worthless to make the playoffs, but you know, like instinctually for me or whatever it is, like I do still think that it makes the most sense for them to try to win as many games as they can try to get into the playoffs. Because as you've mentioned before, like there's teams that don't make the playoffs. I don't think that you should take it for granted if you do have the opportunity to. And the stakes obviously aren't like the 2020 jets who were Oh, and 13 and just had to keep losing to get Trevor Lawrence. No, exactly. (laughs) Randomly won two games. Right. Um, I don't think the Patriots are costing themselves that if they do that. And I think there's benefits to not getting whooped by Miami who had, you know, uh, they appeared to have been very successful in their decision to go with Mike McDaniel. They were cruising. They were eight and three. If you can spoil their playoff run, I think that has some larger picture AFC East uh, implications, at least uh, the way Tua looks these days. I think there's, there's something to be won to really as bad as the Patriots have been lately and has as painful as the the double lateral loss in this one were the the dolphins have lost four in a row and have looked just as miserable throughout the case and, and you know they have quarterback yes. questions they have i would say head coaching questions when you go through a skid like that so i think there's 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 still positives there but like you said like they haven't done it for a whole game and you it's it's sort of similar the way people are cooking up tom brady being the cowboys in the playoff scenarios where it's like you've seen it so many times before, like right, man, you're in the playoffs, and it's like no, probably not. Um, it's that way with the Patriots, where all right, they could go into Kansas City and they could be underdogs and blah blah. It's like yeah, but then they're going to have a delay a game and then a holding right. and then a turnover, oh, and yeah. it's going to go to hell. So I, I get it, but I'm with you. I think we both think they should. It's better for them to make the playoffs uh, than just kind of end circling the drain. I as as absurd as it sounds, because the Buccaneers have been so bad. I guess what the Bucks are. I mean, they're the they're the exception the to your the way that you want Sunday night games to go on forever. Uh, as oh, long God. as la, Bucks Bucks Cardinals was the uh, antithesis of that. So last night, uh, for some reason, my one and a half year old daughter, like an hour after going to sleep, woke up and was like screaming, either "Mama" or "Dada" or whatever it was. My wife was like so tired that she was just passed out. So I was watching the game. I had to bring Hallie downstairs with me and I was actually falling asleep during the end of that, that Buccaneers Cardinals game because it was so boring. And my one and a half year old had to keep waking me up because like, I think she was like, I can't be on the couch by myself with you asleep. So like someone has to be watching me right now. And that's you, you idiot. And she kept waking dad, it's me up. Tom Brady. This might be his yeah. last primetime game, dad. So yeah, that game was literally putting me to sleep, even though I had like 
multiple things to be paying attention to, including my the like the health and safety of my child. But I, I mean, I still feel like despite the fact that I don't know, they've got the same record and the Buccaneers have looked awful this season and Tom Brady is on probably the worst three game stretch of his career. I would have more faith in the Buccaneers going on a run in the playoffs than this Patriots team. Yeah, I guess. I mean, there's some playmakers there. And I don't know. I, I I guess it's not a Bucks podcast, but we could probably do like several hours on Todd Bowles and his passive his passive head coaching. Oh uh, it's just it's not good there. The O line they lost another O lineman last night. <coughs> uh, just the left tackle. It's not a big deal. So I, oh, yeah. I see it, but I, I do think there's a parallel in that. There, there might be some people think, well, if they get in, they sneak in. You don't want to face Bill Belichick in the playoffs. But I just, I feel like last year was yeah. probably the end of that being a reality with the way well, yeah, they went into yeah. Buffalo. I, I feel like that's that's what's making me think that. That's like, yeah, usually you'd be like, well, you don't want to face Tom Brady or Bill Belichick in the playoffs. But right now it'd be like, I don't know, you'd probably rather face Bill Belichick than Tom Brady in the playoffs, given what happened last year. And yeah. given like, it's not just Bill Belichick on the coaching staff. And yeah, that's a good point. People that he's turned the offensive reins over to still don't seem to know what they're doing 16 weeks into the season. But with the Dolphins this week, I feel like even when we started this podcast, it was like it was hard to imagine them winning really like the last three games of the season under any circumstances. I know that like you put together your path of like, oh, it's going to be cold, but for the not going to be like, cold though. Things have changed so much now for the Dolphins that like it doesn't even matter if it's going to be cold. They look awful right now um 55 degrees on new year's day here come on i know it's it's pretty unfortunate for uh rain though some rain it's like a summertime i mean it's like a wintertime rain in florida though so they'll be used to it well yeah i think it was what was it in miami last night wasn't it like, like 50. The 40s last night yeah it was, or 50s it was chilly so it's it gonna wind cool. up being colder that game in miami than yeah, on new too year bad. too bad England. but uh, uh, no i i think they're just it, the Packers aren't exactly the Packers like they used to be. So to lose that one at no. home when you, but they didn't need it necessarily. Now they need it. So now we'll see if they can come in with, cause I do think they like Mike McDaniel. I don't think, yeah, you know, I had some yes. questions going into the year, whether he could connect with the whole team as opposed to maybe certain position groups. Um, yeah. And I, I do think he can get them in position to, to win this week. But you know, you look at the way they played in the second half, the Patriots and, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they beat a struggling Dolphins team. As much as I might not pick them, I don't think it's right. uh, maybe it's like a 60 40 type thing, you know, for Miami, which didn't look that way a few weeks ago, to your point. With with Miami, if they lose out this season, I know this isn't a Miami Dolphins podcast, uh, but if they <laughs> lose out this season, they are eight and seven right now. They would be eight and nine if they miss the playoffs. Then I don't know. Is there any scenario where like they could? fire Mike McDaniel for Sean Payton or something like, is that like, it feels kind of, I don't, I wouldn't do it, but this is another thing where like four weeks ago or whatever it was like, it was like, okay, well there's no way that Sean Payton's going to Miami. Where else could he go? I don't know. I mean, it, that would be a, that would be a pretty massive collapse to lose six games to lose the season to, to the end of the season. It would be, I still think they could probably get rid of Josh Boyer and get a new defensive coordinator. True. Cause that's fair. like, there's like the, the process of like the head coach saving his ass is be like the first would be the fire the coordinator that isn't part of your staff that was right. left over. So I would guess that's the case because the offense has been okay. I think. Yeah, and then maybe well, two has been bad. Yeah. Um, so it would be fire, fire the DC, change the quarterback. So I think Mike McDaniel right. has to have at least another year um, because yeah, I, 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 I agree. 
I thought he had the potential to be a disaster only because no, I think he's been great. Yeah. He has. Um, uh, just I, I had trouble picturing him like in the linebacker room, like really inspiring, like big, strong, scary men that hit people but for a living. But he, it, he's done good. Yeah, I think well, he's, done well. he's done well. Um yeah, he hasn't he's he's maybe he's done good too, but he's certainly done well. Um, I'm sure he's done good. He seems like a decent guy who probably yeah. has donated some time and money to some good causes. <laughs> especially around the holiday season. But um, no, I would not advocate for them firing Mike McDaniel by any means. And I'm sure that like, if some Dolphins fan comes across this, he'd be like, what kind of Christmas drugs are you guys on? But I do think that the scenario where Sean Payton is involved makes things interesting. Where like, I feel like a team could fire a coach that isn't necessarily fireable with, with the, like, I don't know, with the idea in mind of like, well, it's Sean Payton. Like how many other opportunities are we going to get? to get Sean Payton. And like, so that's, I don't know, with like the Cowboys, if they make the playoffs and lose in week one, or like the Chargers, if they make the playoffs and lose week one or something, I think that like a coach who wouldn't normally be fired for like whoever it is, uh, Jonathan Gannon or something could potentially be fired for Sean Payton. Um, there's a there's team, some... there's a team locally. What do you think? You saying it? Uh, you saying it's going to happen? Uh, Rob Kraft, Robert Kraft uh, think... loves the star power. What oh, do you think? I, I thought, thought you were talking about Boston College. Um, yeah, I Maybe. don't know. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I, this is like this is dumb as hell. But like, is there a zero percent chance it happens, or is there a non-zero percent chance that happens? I mean, the mandate from above was to win a playoff game. I thought. I don't think it was a or else uh, because right. it was also attached to the draft getting better, which I think the past two years the draft has gotten better. Mm-hmm. So. I don't think, I, you know, I, yeah. Is it a 0% chance? I don't think anything ever has a 0% chance with right. the Patriots and Bill Belichick. Like I've learned never to go 0% on anything. Remember when they signed Antonio Brown on like a random Sunday? That that was it. <laughs> that was, that was the moment where I was like, literally anything could ever happen at this point. It was like, that yeah. was the moment. That was one of like a dozen we could probably go through. Right. Um, but unlikely I would say, but you know, you were mentioning all the teams that would maybe act yeah more rashly given the available candidate which i don't know is sean payton like someone you want to throw your whole franchise up in the trash for i mean i don't think so in new england i think that sean payton is best off i probably said this before in a situation like arizona in a situation like la where like the media scrutiny isn't the same as it would be in new england or new york or some of these other cities like he's used to coaching in new orleans i don't know like I think that would be a huge change for him to go from New Orleans to like dealing with Felger and Maz every afternoon. You know what I mean? True. I, don't know. I think, you know, in that regard, maybe Cliff Kingsbury gets cut loose. Maybe yeah. he needs an OC job. There's, there's, well, there's your Patriots connection. Well, there was, there was reports this week. I feel like that of Bill O'Brien. Billy O. Um, who was yeah. the report of that? Um, uh, rap, rap report. But it was sort of just like, you know, he's a candidate or a possibility. And it's like, yeah, yeah, man. Like, right. That's right. We know do that think... he's done in Alabama for the most part. Right. Um, I think it would be a massive improvement. I think that, like we talked about before, but like I also think that it would make a lot of sense for him. I think it would make a lot of sense for Bill Belichick. I don't know what you do with Matt Patricia at that point, though. Like, I guess you could just fire him altogether and – I, like, I don't know if Matt Patricia would ever have another job in the NFL after this. So I think that Bill Belichick would probably feel bad about that. But 
I mean, I guess if Gerard Mayo he left won't or fire something, him. then he won't fire him. He put this then like Matt Patricia and, and Steve Belichick would like share the defense, I guess, or something. I don't know. I think Patricia will go to like a booth, booth job, senior advisor, baby Ernie Adams, you know, like right. I, I think maybe the, the, the play to play situation and he's more big picture from above. Right. He, he won't fire over. him. Though. Bill won't fire him after this. I mean, he put him in position to fail. I don't, that would yeah. be awful. That'd be like if I hired you to like, do my roof and you did a bad job <laughs> and then i fired you well i would fire you but you got the well, you probably like, should fire me yeah you get well, the idea. Oh, this, this well i don't know i think that this kind of speaks to that patricia situation quite well and that if you would fire me for for messing up your roof then like it's well, too hard to get a new roofer <laughs> it's just too hard well i wouldn't bill belichick fire matt patricia for messing up his roof it's, it's the roof point. is pretty important kind of you need you an know, experienced roofer yeah and uh I don't know. It was too hard. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that Matt, uh, I think that Bill O'Brien would make a lot of sense. But as I mentioned last time, I think that you would also need some sort of up and comer or an experienced quarterbacks coach as well, just in case Bill O'Brien left after one season, uh, either for a college job or some NFL head coaching job. I do think that that might be a little bit overblown, though. Is that like, I don't know if if Bill O'Brien did turn around like one of the NFL's worst offenses and made them top ten, like. Still, though, is someone going to immediately hire Bill O'Brien to be an NFL head coach again after one season? I don't know. I think you could get at least so. like two or three seasons out of him. I had to Google this because I get all my stuff confused. Remember all the books that came out against the Patriots? But yeah. uh, against the, about the Patriots. <laughs> um, some, some would argue against, but Wickersham's book um, said that the Patriots, you know, Kraft, the Crafts wanted O'Brien to potentially replace Bill. You might remember. Right. Um, yeah. I forget if that was after 2017 when things were tumultuous uh, within the organization. So reasonably, you have to ask the question, like, is is Bill Belichick going to bring in an assistant that the owners view as his replacement? That is interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, like, yeah no, that's not even like yeah. a drama, Bill, like sport. It's like human nature. If you have a right. job and you know your boss likes someone else to potentially take your place, are right. you going to bring that person on as your top assistant? Uh, and then if things go wrong, you know what's going to happen. So I don't know. And I, I, the, the details on that are a little fuzzy for me. but No, it's a good like... point. <clears throat> I just don't know what the other options there would be at, at that point. Like, I don't know. Bill O'Brien is like the safe option, but I also feel like it's the most logical one where like, they could just go back to the old offense. They can like run the things that they could even include incorporate like Alabama elements in the offense for Bill O'Brien and Mac Jones. Like this is, it's all the same reasons that everyone was talking about it last year. Everyone thought it was going to happen last year. And then like, apparently Bill Belichick just didn't want to like harm Nick Saban and the Alabama program. He yeah. would rather harm his own team by putting Matt Patricia as his offensive play caller, which I don't know. You can judge that situation one way or the other. Um, but no, I, I think that, yeah, that's a weird situation where, but even in the current situation, like, I don't know, no one's written about this or anything like that, but like, I don't know, like, do you think that Robert Kraft would want like Gerard Mayo to be his head coach right now? Like, I'm sure there's other people within the Patriots organization that Robert Kraft feels strongly about. I, I don't know. It, I don't know. It, it's it's a good point. It's a good point. I'd be, I'd be interested to make, like, say Gerard Mayo was the, I don't know, like building a staff when you've only worked here might be a challenge like there's not a lot of league contacts and friends that have been made to run the offense say right. so i don't know that's we're we're probably too deep into our offseason chat right now if we're being honest but i yeah, think that's no, where the patriots are at 
where yeah. they can still, I mean, uh, I was joking, like after the Dolphins lost, I'm like the Patriots playoff push continues. Like it's the play, the Patriots playoff push of just losing and staying in somehow uh, lives on for another week. So until that happens, um, we maybe don't have to go that deep, but I do think, yeah, no, that's true. I made a point last week or the week before, like, okay, if they do really poorly and don't make the playoffs, then they'll definitely make the change at OC. I think they're definitely making the change at OC regardless, even if they win these two games and look great offensively, like the body of work is that bad. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's it, yeah, it's top to bottom. We've, we've talked about it. And I do feel like, I don't know, was the offensive line maybe a little bit better in this game at least though? Um, uh, I mean, there was one play I, I tweeted it out. Uh, Trent Brown and Kevin Harris blocked to the left side. There was nobody coming. And uh, what's his name? The number 24 in the Bengals blitzed off the right end of the offense and just completely untouched. Went right at Max. Sacked him at like the one. Or he might have lost him, but Cole yeah, Strange just got was, beat inside. Like there was the, there was still better, I guess. Yeah. But slightly it's better. Still like, just, by, just based on sacks, but overall pressure, there was still a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and the Patriots now they were uh, seven first. Uh, what are whatever they were on third down, they now rank twenty seventh in the league. They rank thirty first and fourth down, thirty second in red zone, which is only thirty two teams, FYI, and then thirtieth in goal to goal, um, and twenty eighth in possess- time of possession. So uh, it's not getting any better, uh, no matter anyways. And that that red zone, this this number is insane. So they rank dead last in red zone offense at thirty eight point five percent. The second worst team is Indianapolis at 45%. So you're talking a six and a half percent difference. Like they're not just slightly worse than everyone. They are way worse than everyone. And just to really, just to really, really flip it on its head, uh, the number one red zone team, that would be the Philadelphia Eagles. They score touchdowns on 72.2% of their red zone trips in the Patriots score on roughly half of that at 38. Nearly half. I yeah. wonder who, because what was it back in the day? Was it Chad O'Shea who put together the red zone packages for the Patriots and like that? Like, I think there was always, there was like reports about who specifically was putting together the red zone packages. I don't know who it is. I don't really want to throw anyone else under the bus other than Bill Belichick, Matt Patricia, and Joe Judge. But uh, at the very least, at some point this season, whoever was putting together red zone packages, like that probably should have been removed from his job description and someone else should have gone in there because like you also have a six foot, 240 pound running back in Ramondre Stevenson, who you think would be pretty effective in red zone situations. And um, a six foot eight, 360 pound left tackle who yes. has proven capable of running people over. But um, that has not been the case this season. And I think no. that a lot of that is scheming and uh, system. And, and wouldn't Devontae Parker, like, wasn't that addition kind of fit in there? Just like a tall receiver finally that you could throw it up to in the end zone? That hasn't really panned out either. Uh, you might know this, but they also are spending uh, like a decent amount thirty of million dollars on tight ends. ends. Yeah, yep. who typically, at least in the past, for the Patriots uh, have been pretty effective in the red zone. And Patriots have a one of those guys is a blocking tight end. The other one is not a blocking tight end. So it's kind of kind of tough. Do you think not to? Uh, we'll, we'll get out of here soon. I'll let you go soon. Do you think the Patriots wanted to sign two tight ends last offseason? Oh. Or do you think that like they wanted to sign Hunter Henry? John Smith's price became what it was, and they were like, this is pretty affordable. We're going to sign John Smith. Then Hunter Henry didn't wind up getting the amount of money they thought he was going to get, whatever it was. And they were like, well, we can get Hunter Henry for the same amount. That's a pretty good bargain. We'll get him too. Or do you think that they just wanted two tight ends? 
I like the theory that like, oh crap, they both accepted. Um, but I do think they wanted because the tight end situation, the Cam Newton year, it was Ryan Izzo, it was Devin Asiasi, and it was was Eric Tomlinson involved in there at some point? Uh not that uh, Don, uh Dalton Keene got in a little bit. Uh and yeah. then they had the one game with Jordan Thomas or two games with him. Um Ooh, yeah, so, Jordan Thomas. Yeah, so tight end was a real was a real issue. So I could see that as being a, a pretty significant need. So I do like that theory. Like, oh man. I asked them both and they both said yes to the prom like that. That's uh, but no, I, I think they needed it. And, and Hunter Henry, it's just, just, it's just such an absurd position to spend that much money in because like tight ends are cheap. That's like the best thing about tight ends is that like Travis Kelsey not makes as much, he makes as much as like the 40th best wide receiver, but like, yeah, that's great. If you have one of them for that price, but if you have two of them, then, and especially last year when they weren't even using them at the same time, it's, it's basically just like, wasted money i don't know yeah no i i, I still think it could have worked better like i i still don't know why they never threw the ball to johnny smith last year and i do know why hunter henry went from nine touchdowns to two touchdowns and it's because the person running the offense doesn't know how to do it so um <laughs> i'm not true. putting that all on hunter henry himself but i think that's a good like just if you need a small snapshot of the issues from year to year it's like hunter henry went from a guy that had nine touchdowns to a guy that has two yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a problem, and I think that also the fact that there's been some discussion of like, oh, was the 2020 Patriots offense more effective than this year's offense? It's like, yeah, it was. I mean, that was a, a really terrible offense with Cam Newton at quarterback. They were much cooler. They were cool as hell. I loved like you know, pregame. This is what Cam Newton's wearing. Like that was good stuff. Content wise, not not postgame. Who did Mac Jones try to maim on the football field? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they were they were um. They were bad in 2020. I, I don't know if we're properly remembering it because it was a year separated, but um, I felt like they stopped trying that year. Josh McDaniel, like I, we would, I would sit yeah. there at Gillette, and, and maybe because it was an empty stadium, was different. But I would watch. They would run two outside receivers running slants. Uh, they'd keep a tight end to block, and they'd keep a running back in the block on like third and seven. <laughs> and it's like, well, like what the hell? Like that's like. Pop Warner, we only have seven plays. We can only run them. And I felt like Josh McDaniels was better than that. So I don't know. Now we're now we're really maybe uh maybe next week we can do the 2020 versus 2022 comparison. We can really get into it. But man, the 2020 year was rough. He just he didn't want to show his hand for the entire 2021 <laughs> season. That was uh that was he, he was just you know running the simple play calls because uh he knew what was coming the next year when he was gonna get a head coaching opportunity. But I think that'll do it for today's edition of Pat's Chat Podcast. Um, not a Matt Patricia today. podcast, by the way. Not a Matt Patricia podcast. We've talked about him very little. Um, go to thrivefantasy.com. Use promo code Doug, and they will match your um, uh, your deposit up to $100. So that's a good thing to do. Uh, follow Mike on Twitter at Michael F. Hurley. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. If you can't find the podcast, tweet me and I'll try to figure out why you can't get the podcast there. I don't think that's an issue, but it might be an issue. Um, do you have anything more to say? Should I say it? Sure. You want me to say it? Say it. Talk to you next year, Doug. <laughs> oh, oh! I, I don't it. think you will. I don't think you will. What do you mean? Well, are we going to do, are we, I guess. Doug, the game's on new year's day. Oh, we do yeah, a Friday. Damn it. We usually it's do a Friday. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Well, I will talk to you next year after talking to you again this year. I'll also talk to you this week. What a twist that was. What a twist. Yeah, that was a... All right. 
I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye.